Amen. Good morning, everyone. How are we this morning? Are we well? We're having a good week. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, I can't start this morning without mentioning the hoverflies, the great hoverfly uh, influx of 2018. Hands up if your house is absolutely plagued by hoverflies at the minute. Great. I was all set for um, getting out the pesticides and just getting rid of them all, and then I felt really guilt tripped because the, there was something on Facebook that came up and said, this is the best thing for pollination that's ever happened in our country, and I was like, oh, we better leave them alone then. Um, but it's crazy, isn't it? It's been crazy. Um, I'm so excited to be with you guys this morning. It's so brilliant that we get to share and be around different sites in our church, that we really are one church that meets in lots of different places, and I love that when you come into a site, any of our sites, it still feels like city church, whether you're worshipping here or in to Mac or Inverurie or Lawrence Kirk or wherever you're from, it feels like City Church and it's so nice to just go from one bit of the family to the next. So thank you for making me feel so welcome this morning. Um, today we're going to be carrying on in our series in Mark. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 46 to 52. We're in the kind of, uh, if you imagine uh, our series uh, called The King and His Cross is like a plane journey. We're on the bit where we're just about to come into land now. We're, we're, we've kind of gone up to the middle, we've had our in-flight entertainment, we've had the meal or if you paid for it. I'm too cheap to pay for a meal on an aeroplane now, so you've maybe just had a glass of water up there. But you're on our way down now as Jesus starts to head towards Jerusalem. That's where we're going at the minute. He's starting to head towards the end, towards the end goal for him, which is that moment in Jerusalem uh, where he gives his life so that we can receive grace and freedom and forgiveness. Uh, and, the, and the context for today's passage, we've just come off the back of a conversation Mark has had with James and John, where they've been arguing about uh, which one of them gets to sit beside Jesus, they're like, Jesus in heaven, can we sit at your right and left hand? Can we have positions of power and authority and status with you? And Jesus has just finished telling them, guys, the way that you get greatness in the kingdom of heaven is that you serve the very least and the very last and the lost here on earth. That's what greatness looks like. It looks like giving your life away so that other people uh, can be raised up uh, and can meet Jesus. And it fits perfectly because today we're going to meet a guy who ticks all of those boxes, a guy who is the least, the last and the lost, a guy called Bartimaeus. He's blind. Uh, he is uh, out on the streets. He's poor. He's begging for money. And we're going to see what his interaction with Jesus looks like today and what we can learn from that moment. So we're in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, we're going to start at. Um, if anyone needs a Bible, uh, you can pop your hand up now. Uh, and uh, James Lyons is going to come and be our Bible monitor for today. Why don't you come down? If you need a Bible, pop your hand up and James will provide you with a Bible. Uh, free of charge, no rental fee. Anyone? Oh, we've got one at the back. There we go. So Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. 
Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And I just want to take a moment just as we start today to look at Bartimaeus' current set of circumstances. Bartimaeus is blind. He can't see. He's not able to see a thing. So that means if you think about your morning this morning, think about everything that you've seen from the point that you left your house to the point where you got here today. You would have opened your eyes. You would have seen the sunlight coming into your bedroom. You would have seen uh, the pictures hanging on the wall in your house. You might have seen family members uh, smile and encourage you. You might have seen uh, birds flying in the sky. You might have seen the sun rising so beautiful. There's so many things that you've seen today. Lovely, wonderful, blessing sights that you would have seen even in these first couple of hours today that Bartimaeus missed out on every single day. As well as that, you saw the road uh, and you saw where traffic was coming from. You saw uh, not to walk near sharp or dangerous objects. You saw not to uh, walk out in front of a bus. You saw all of that stuff that Bartimaeus would not have seen on a daily basis. Not only was he missing out on the beauty of creation, uh, but he would have often found himself wandering into dangerous and difficult circumstances because he could not see. As well as that, you know, if he was rich and blind, it might have uh, covered some of the pain of the blindness for him. Like, he might have been able to employ somebody to lead him around. He might have been able to sit in a really comfortable, lovely house uh, and listen to wonderful music being played for him. But we find out he's poor. He's on the streets. He's begging every single day. He doesn't have the comforts that money could have bought him. And when we look at the life of Bartimaeus, we can't help but see our lives without Jesus. We can't help but see our lives when we're not walking with Jesus, when we are blind and we're poor. We're blind without Jesus in that we think that we can see. We think that we can see what's important in life. And actually, it only comes into focus when we meet with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Life uh, comes alive in that moment. One of my friends describes it uh, like uh, he used to watch snooker on TV and then he got his first ever colour television and it was like his whole world had changed there was colours on the screen, the whole game had changed, that's what it looks like when we encounter Jesus, we thought we could see but actually we saw nothing until we see it through the lens of the king equally we think we're rich we think we're rich when we gather possessions and, and gather stuff and get a bigger car a bigger house or a more powerful job we think that we're rich in that moment and then in the moment we meet Jesus we realise we had nothing because the full richness of life is in relationship with the king we are all poor and blind like Bartimaeus when we are not walking with Jesus and so I think the first thing that really struck me in this passage was where did Bartimaeus get his faith from as Jesus walks into town we're painted this picture of a man who has never seen Jesus and never encountered Jesus in his life absolutely desperately shouting out for the king to come and meet with him where did that faith come from how did he build a faith that meant when people were telling him to shut up up, he shouted all the louder, please Jesus, do not pass me by. Charles Spurgeon, uh, who's a famous preacher, paints the picture like this. Bartimaeus would have been placed uh, on one of the busiest roads in Jericho. Uh, he would have had somebody who would have taken him out each day and placed him at a point where he was most likely to gain money from people. So that would have been the road going in and out of the city or one of the main roads going through the town. He would have been placed in a, in a place where lots of people passed by. And so while lots of people passed him by, that means lots of people's stories passed him by too. And maybe when he 
first heard about Jesus, it was in the context of Jesus changing water into wine. He'd heard about this sorcerer who changed water into wine. It was the most incredible thing. Water had become wine. And so he would have heard little nuggets of stories passing him by. And as Jesus grows in stature, as Jesus' ministry grows around the area, he would have started to hear more stories passing through the road that he was sitting on. He would have heard about uh, deaf people being given their hearing back. He would have heard about uh, evil spirits being cast out of people who had been there for years. And then would have come the day, only a few chapters before this, when he would have heard about the story of another man who was blind being able to see. And in that moment, Bartimaeus goes from being an interested party to fully invested in finding out who Jesus is because suddenly the Jesus story has become completely relevant for him. This isn't some fun story far off. This is somebody has been healed of the exact thing I need healing from and now I'm in full-on pursuit mode. I need to meet Jesus. This is a man who's never met Jesus personally, but through hearing stories of his goodness, has built a faith that causes him to step out when Jesus walks by. Um, I live in Tilledrone. Uh, I've lived there for the last uh, three years now. And we live in like uh, five houses that are in a little terrace block together. And our neighbours are the most incredible bunch of people you'll ever meet. They're so friendly and loving and warm. We've literally struck gold with our neighbours. They're so kind. Uh, and when we first moved in, we weren't far off having our first child, Evelyn. Uh, and so when that moment came when Sarah was going into hospital uh, to have Evelyn, the neighbours came round and they were like, please come and tell us when you have your little uh, baby, uh, please let us know so that we can like get you a wee gift and get your card. And I was like, I'll come and tell you. I'll make sure. So Evelyn was born uh, in the early hours of the morning and I'd went home and had a couple of hours sleep and I was about to go back to the hospital to see Sarah. First thing in the morning I thought, I'll just go and chat the neighbours doors and let them know that Evelyn's been born and it's a little girl. So I went up to number one's door and I opened the gate and I chapped the door and I didn't know this but they had a, a little tiny rocket dog. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these before. It's like a dog that is, uh, you almost wouldn't notice it if it didn't yap so much. So this dog, I opened the door, it ran straight through my legs, straight out the gate and onto the road and then just kept going. So I was looking at my neighbour and she was like, she's like an older lady, she's in her 70s. So she was looking at me and she was like, well I'm not going to do anything about it. So I had to turn and chase this dog and I chased it all the way down, if you know Teledrone, I chased it down to the river, uh, <laughs> all the way from the centre of Teledrone down to the river. I eventually cornered it against the fence and sort of got down like this to stop it running through my legs again and caught the dog. I was petrified. I thought, oh no, I've just got to know these neighbours and I'm going to be responsible for the death of their dog. This is not going to go well. The problem was that they'd missed out a key bit of information when they said, come and chap the door and tell us that your daughter's been born. They should have also said, and make sure you shut the gate behind you when you come in. If they'd told me that bit of information, it would have saved a lot of stress, a lot of uh, sweat and energy on my part. Eventually, when I got to the hospital, Sarah was like, where have you been? I was like, sweating and like, totally. And I was like, you don't want to know, almost killed the neighbor's dog, but it's okay. When we look at this passage, we see a man uh, who grew to become desperate for an encounter with the king because he received the right bit of information. He received the crucial bit of information that Jesus had something to bring to him. 
that Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, had something that would radically alter this one individual man's life. He'd seen it happen in the life of another, and so he was absolutely certain that if he could just get in front of Jesus, that everything would change. People had shared their stories with him, their stories of Jesus, their stories of his healing, his wisdom, his teaching, his goodness, his patience, his kindness, all of those things. And so that means that when the moment Jesus comes along, Bartimaeus has the faith that means he will shout at the top of his lungs to make sure Jesus does not pass him by. He goes into full-on pursuit mode. He is like, Jesus, you will not leave here until I've had an encounter with you. And those people who had shared stories with Bartimaeus had no idea the impact it was having on him. You know, you can imagine the first story, him just laughing off and being like, water to wine, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, get out. And then as he hears more and more about Jesus, suddenly he gets to the point where it's like, Jesus has healed a blind man. And in that moment, it's, uh, the scales tip for him. He's like, okay, I have to meet with this Jesus. There's so much power in the sharing of hope and testimony with those who don't know Jesus. But for us as Jesus followers, it can be really uh, easy for us to keep our experience to ourselves, can't it? It can be a really easy thing to just uh, come here on a Sunday and to, and to soak in all the goodness, soak in the worship, soak in the testimony, soak in the talk, and then just be like, great, I'm set for the week. That will get me through till next Sunday. And then we just go about life again and do the things that we want to do. I think in this passage, though, we see the responsibility for us and being great storytellers for Jesus. The responsibility that lies with us in sharing the hope that lies within our hearts. Sharing the good news because the potential for transformation in the lives around us is far too great to miss. We want to be the kind of people who rock up to work on a Monday morning and the first thing that we say to our colleagues is, hey, you'll never believe what happened at my church this Sunday. This person was healed of this thing and they've never, they've never known life without that before and Jesus just healed them. Or maybe, you'll never guess what happened in our church this Sunday. We actually gave away storehouse parcels to 15 families. 15 families will have food this week because our church was so generous towards them. Or maybe it's more personal than that. Maybe it's, guys, you'll never guess what happened this week. I've been feeling anxious about my work for the last two weeks. It's been causing me to have fear-induced panic attacks. And actually, on Sunday, Jesus did something that brought calm and peace into my life. It's the most wonderful thing. We share our personal experience of, of Jesus because our personal experiences are not unique. If God is doing a work in our lives, healing us or removing anxiety and fear or uh, setting us free from addictions or bringing integrity, uh, we've been playing a little fast and loose with the truth. Guess what? The world is full of other people who need healing and who are struggling with stress and anxiety and who are lacking in integrity and truth-telling and who are fearful and who are worried about the future. Our personal experience of Jesus is crucial for the transformation of this world. Each story we tell, each moment of goodness we recount, each uh, testimony that we share... Uh, we have no idea the impact that it will have. 
It's almost like uh, everyone has a little set of scales and as we load up more and more little grains of Jesus' stories on one side of the scales, eventually there comes a point where those scales tip. And that person's like, I need to meet this Jesus then. If he is who you say you are, I need to meet him and find out. Our stories are so important. And so my question for us this morning is, who's missing out on your story? Who is missing out on your story in your life right now? Who needs to hear the goodness that Jesus has poured into our lives? We have no control over uh, how our stories are received, but we can absolutely control who hears our story. And so my question is, who's missing out on our stories this week? So Bartimaeus builds this faith through hearing of Jesus' goodness. But then I love the way that he pursues Jesus. We go on from there to see him pursuing Jesus in the most incredible way. I'd love us just to go back to the passage at verse 47. It says this, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then people rebuke him and they're like, Bartimaeus, shut up. Jesus is teaching. Like, just be quiet. Stop interrupting. You're such a nuisance and he's like I don't care what any of you guys say Jesus please will you have mercy on me he just keeps going he keeps on going I love Bartimaeus because he comes as like quite a refreshing character the last few weeks in Mark we've basically been bumbling from one disciple mishap to another as they vie for power and as they argue about who gets to sit at Jesus right hand and as they try and pitch tents in amongst the glory of God and Bartimaeus comes in with just this pure genuine hunger for meeting the king a pure genuine pursuit of the king and the first thing about his pursuit is that he is tenacious he is not willing to let go until he has had a moment with the king people are saying stop it be quiet he would have been the bottom of the social ladder he would have been less useful than a slave or a servant he would have been right on the bottom rung he would have stuck out like a sore thumb the moment he even dared speak to a rabbi but he is like jesus please have mercy on me he is tenacious um, I was watching a Discovery Channel documentary the other week. I'm in that stage of life now. I've moved away uh, from the the sort of uh, Geordie Shore or all that kind of stage of life. And I'm now into the more uh, sort of uh, wholesome and lovely Discovery Channel phase of life. I've got a father now. I've got to be responsible. Um, And so uh, I was watching this Discovery Channel documentary. And it was all about how they discovered Hawaii. Uh, I don't know if you've heard how Hawaii was discovered, but this blew my mind. Hawaii was discovered by the Polynesians. So they were people who sort of um, went around all the islands in that region, just sort of discovering them and making them home. Uh, And so they were living on an island uh, that was called uh, the Marquesas Island. Uh, There was a bunch of them living on there. And one summer, uh, uh, or one winter, can't remember which one it was, one summer or winter, they saw these birds called golden plovers flying off of their island and going north. And so they assumed there has to be land north of here. If these birds are migrating, there's going to be something north of here. And they were like, this is amazing. It will be a new land. No one will have discovered it. There will be loads of lovely coconuts and, and fresh fruit and water sources and new land to take. So we're going to find out. So the first year, they waited. They got their little boats ready. And as the golden plovers flew overhead, they set sail and they chased these birds across the, uh, the ocean. Now, the birds got away from them really, really quickly. It wasn't a good plan at all. So what they did was they 
they marked, they mapped it out and they marked on the ocean where they'd last seen the golden plovers go and they sailed back to shore and the next year when they knew that they were about to migrate they sailed out to the same spot they'd left them last year and of course they flew overhead again so they started sailing again after them uh, and then they lost them again so they mapped it out, marked it on the map, went back again. Do you know how many years they did this for before they discovered Hawaii? 400 years. They did that for 400 years. They followed these birds. They picked up the scent from where they'd left it the last time. And on the 400th year, they discovered the big cliffs at the edge of Hawaii. They tenaciously pursued those birds because they were absolutely certain that there was something really good. It spanned generations. The same people who started it didn't finish it, but they were so determined to get to this land. Bartimaeus tenaciously called after Jesus. He didn't give up on the first try. He went back again. He was willing to stick his neck on the line and risk disappointment and abuse uh, and and, and just uh, a shower of shame because he was so desperate to meet with the king. He was so sure that if he just got in front of Jesus, something absolutely wonderful and miraculous would happen. And so it was worth the risk for him to passionately pursue the king. In the same way the Polynesians were certain there was something good in Hawaii, Bartimaeus was certain there was something good that Jesus had for him. And so a good question for us to ask ourselves today is, as Jesus followers, are we desperate to get in the presence of the King? Are we tenaciously pursuing Jesus with all that we have because we're certain that he has something good for us in the relationship that we build with him? Are we willing to cast aside all fear of embarrassment and disappointment because we know that when we get face to face with Jesus, our worries, our fears, our stresses, our anxieties bubble away and we bask in the presence of the King? Somehow uh, that formula doesn't always compute for us though, does it? Somehow uh, watching TV or working a few hours extra or browsing through Facebook or Instagram uh, often win that battle for our time, don't they? That often they come out on top and that we think, oh, maybe we'll, we'll work, uh, we'll do something with Jesus later because I really love this TV program or we'll do this later and it kind of gets pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Why is that? Why does that happen? I think when we look at Bartimaeus, we start to understand that part of his passionate pursuit was because he had a very prevalent need. He was blind. He was desperate not to be blind. And so he was going to do everything that he could to get in the presence of the king. He wanted to see. And he knew that Jesus held the cure for blindness. And so he tenaciously runs after Jesus. And I think the question for us today is, does the world we live in dull our desperation for the king? That is a difficult question. That is a question that I am wrestling with myself. Does the world that we live in right now dull our desperation for the king? Are our lives just comfortable enough that we don't desperately need Jesus. And if that's the case, we're living in really risky waters of uh, not quite being known by Jesus and not quite knowing him ourselves. 
Jesus makes no apology for the fact that he wants all of us. The Lord doesn't want what's left over after our box set is finished. The Lord doesn't want what's finished when we've finished our working week. He wants all of us. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And Bartimaeus uh, demonstrates that kind of sold-out, passionate pursuit of the king, doesn't he? He demonstrates what it looks like to tenaciously run after Jesus with everything he has. A desperate pursuit of the king to know him, to know his love, to know his power, to know his healing, to know his goodness and his mercy in in our lives. You know, for some of us in this room today, we'll be living uh, with life-controlling issues. Some of us will be living uh, with deep depression. Some of us will be living uh, with uh, the reality of a daily self-harm moment. Some of us will be living with uh, addiction uh, or regular suicidal thoughts. And the enemy is so sneaky because he tells us this lie that goes something like, You know, Jesus isn't that interested in you. Why would Jesus care about your issues? Why would Jesus care about what you're going through? Or the other trick that he has is to make us uh, just uh, comfortable enough to not need to shout out to Jesus. Maybe our lives, for some of us in this room, will be living lives that are comfortable and that are fine. We have plenty of food on the table. We feel uh, well and healthy and fit most of the time. But actually, a really comfortable and secure life here translates into a zero in heaven. It means nothing. We take nothing with us. We can't carry uh, our fancy furniture or our nice cars with us uh, into heaven. Jesus is desperate for the relationship. And so if we aren't desperately pursuing God, my encouragement to us today would be let's look around, look around in our lives and work out what has to go here to make me desperate enough to seek the king. What do I have to cancel? What subscription needs to go? What screen needs to be removed? What uh, habit needs to be taken out so that my desperation for the king is sharpened to the point where I am running for Jesus with everything I have? And the lovely thing is, he is as desperate to encounter us as Bartimaeus was to encounter him. He welcomes Bartimaeus with open arms in the crowd, doesn't he? He's like, come, tell him to come. I want to see him. Let me meet him. He hears our voices in amongst the crowd. He hears our voices. He sees beyond the people that we are and hears the cry of our hearts towards him. Bartimaeus is tenacious in his pursuit of Jesus, but he's also quick to respond to Jesus. He responds to Jesus so speedily. It says in the passage in verse 50, Jesus calls him and it says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Uh, I find it difficult to jump to my feet from a sitting position just now, and I can see where I'm going. Can you imagine how what that must have been like for Bartimaeus? He can't see a thing, but he throws his cloak off, and he's on his feet, and he's ready to go to Jesus. He doesn't waste time wondering, "Mm, I wonder if that's Jesus calling me. That could be anyone else in the crowd. As soon as he's heard that this is me, this is my moment. He's there in an instant. He wants to meet with Jesus instantly. He's quick in his response. 
Jesus is calling every single one of us in this room towards him right now. This is not an elite club. It's not a members-only scheme. It's not some sort of a special social place. He's calling every single person in this room to come to him right now, right this moment. Let's make a choice to run to him right now, where the world would have time spending uh, would have us spending time running after uh, more money or more things uh, or more uh, stuff. Jesus is saying, "Just run to me, run into relationship with me." I've been loving watching the new periphery route take shape. Perif- periphery, periphery. I always want to add in an extra R. I'm like periphery. Perif- anyway, we insight into my uh, mental state there. Um, but yeah, I've been loving watching the periphery route take place, going round Aberdeen, and it's the most amazing thing. You know, for people in Ellen, an hour and a wee bit's journey to Lawrence Kirk will now be done in like half an hour. The route is quick. It's a direct route, and it's a faster route as well. It's a 70 mile an hour road the whole way around. It's it's quicker and it's more direct than it's ever been. In the same way, our route to the Father has been made uh, much simpler and more direct uh, in the moment when Jesus gave his life for us. There was no longer a need uh, for sacrifices uh, or for rituals or for routines. Jesus dying on the cross made it so that we can come to the Father at any moment and say, God, I'm sorry for the wandering I've done. Please, uh, would you have me back? And God's waiting there with open arms for us. So let's not waste time uh, going down every country lane and every back road in the country before we finally come to Jesus. Let's get on the quick road just now and run towards him with all that we have. And the final thing is this. I want us to take just a moment to notice Jesus and his response to Bartimaeus. Jesus is the saviour who stops. Jesus is passing by, uh, and the crowd are all vying for his attention. They want to hear what he's saying. They want to glean from his teaching. And he just starts to hear this uh, shout, Jesus, uh, son of David, have mercy on me. I think it's hilarious that the crowd are following Jesus around, waiting for a miracle, and the one guy who looks most like he needs a miracle in the crowd is the one guy they're telling him to shut up. (laughs) But Jesus stops and he hears him. He says, tell him to come to me. Jesus is marching towards his death. He's marching towards the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. There's so much stuff going on. I'm sure he's got a busy routine. I'm sure if he had a Google calendar, it would be packed from nine in the morning till nine at night. But he stops for this man when he hears the shout. He could have easily carried on, listened to the advice of the crowd, just tell this guy to shut up, leave him be. But he doesn't. He stops for Bartimaeus. And he doesn't stop uh, for some sort of demonstration of power so that people can think he's awesome. He stops because he's driven by compassion for this man. He looks at his circumstances and he's like, I don't want him to be like that anymore. I want to give him new life and a hope uh, and a better future. This is the saviour we see on the pages of the Bible. People were expecting uh, a warrior king to come and overthrow Rome, uh, burn it to the ground, down with the establishment, down with the man, set us free. And actually what they got was a humble, compassionate saviour who uh, overturned the world uh, in the most peaceful and loving way that nobody could have expected. And the encouragement for us is this, he hears your voice. 
he hears our voice in amongst the busy crowd that are shouting and screaming and the loud noise he picks out Bartimaeus' voice and he's like tell him to come to me it's extraordinary Um, I love there's a great story uh, about Colonel Sanders the man who invented Kentucky Fried Chicken Uh, he was on an airplane once uh, travelling from I imagine one branch of Kentucky Fried Chicken to another branch of Kentucky Fried Chicken Uh, and on the plane there was a kid screaming uh, from the moment the plane took off and the mum was trying to get the kid to be quiet and the air stewards and stewardesses were all gathered around bringing milk and blankets and fresh nappies and all that stuff and nobody could get this baby to be quiet and so Colonel Sanders eventually walks over he must have some sort of like baby whispering gift because he takes the kid and he's walking around and the kid goes quiet and he gets the kid to sleep he passes the kid back to their parents and he goes back to his seat uh, and a guy comes over to him and he's like thank you so much for that that noise was driving everyone mental you've done us all a real favour there thank you so much and Colonel Sanders says to him I wasn't doing it for you I was doing it for the baby (laughs) when Jesus stops for this man he demonstrates love and compassion for him for Bartimaeus it's not about the crowd it's not about anyone watching on it's a moment with Bartimaeus where he gets to experience the love of the compassionate saviour who stops when we yell out from the fear and just by anxiety Jesus hears our voice when we cry out from the very pit of depression Jesus hears our voice when we cry out from the bitterness and the heart of disappointment Jesus hears our voice and he calls us come to me and Brennan Manning who is one of my all time favourite authors he puts it a bit like this Uh, he says before I'm asked to show compassion towards my brothers and sisters in their suffering he asked me to accept his compassion in my own life to be transformed by it to become caring and compassionate towards myself and my own suffering and sinfulness and my own heart failure and need the degree of our compassion for others depends upon our capacity for self-acceptance so I guess a great question for us today is do we know that Jesus has stopped for us Do we know that he would stop for every cry that we've ever cried out to him? Do we know that he'll stop for every cry that we do ever cry out to him? We need to know the compassion of a stopping saviour in our lives personally if we want to be the most effective carriers of compassion and grace into this world. Jesus stops. He is a stopping saviour. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together.